0: Welcome to a space where your voice, your experience, and your truth matter. You should come prepared for authentic, deep dives
1: into topics that embody all walks of life
0: with the goal of creating positive change.
2: No matter who you are or where you're from, we're glad you're here to share in the conversation and can't wait to hear your story. I am Coach Fred.
1: I'm Anktisi.
0: I am Aaron Kinzer.
1: I am Javon. And this is Safe Spaces and Faces.
3: Not the pizza.
2: Hey, he's awake. God damn it. He's here. (laughs) At least he's awake.
3: (laughs) I mean, we got to give him
2: that. I I love (laughs) you, man. Bro, you was like this. You were... Not then
3: that. you came back alive and Javon was like, him. oh, Aaron, what do you think about
2: that? I mean, that shit, that shit was so
3: smooth. <laughs> that shit was smooth. He was smooth as it shit. It was. Oh, shit. Hey, what's up? What's good, y'all? It's Unc. T C. We are back with another night, another conversation. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about it. Yeah, what's been going on with y'all? Anything good? Uh-oh. Not a drink, Fred. What you got? What you got, man? <laughs> Any kids, man. Any
2: kids. I'm trying to- No, it ain't my kids, man. It's- no, it's been good. Life has been good. Oh, you know what, man? Listen, let me tell you something for real. I got bees, y'all. I got real legit bees trying to burrow a hole in my roof, dog. And the other day I sprayed a hose because they, I can't get to them. they like 20 feet and I need to call somebody. And I sprayed a hose and they got mad at me and they chased me in my house. I had to kill three of them in my house. I'm sorry, but you know. Not the, bees. Not the, the bees. Kill, kill, kill a bee. I hate, <laughs> no, I hate bees. I hate bees. I you hate save bees.
1: save the bees. Save the bees. Uh, Please uh, save the bees, because we would not be here if it wasn't for the bees. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> no. They're not the
2: fuzzy cute kind. They these yellow jacket, nasty, I want to kill you kind. Oh, they it's not them. like bumblebees? like mm-hmm. the- No, I okay. love the bumblebees. They like these little nasty yellow jackets, and I can't stand them, man. They ain't, they ain't no
3: Okay. Well, go ahead and kill them then.
2: Yeah, I got to, so... That's why I got the drink. <laughs> they out here buzzing around my house. Dog, dog, please don't get me started. I'm, I'm gonna go on a tangent. I can't, I can't.
3: That's why I got to drink. That's why I got to drink. Oh, so trauma llamas, man. There is a whole story behind the title of this episode. I remember one time I asked my friend Christina. I was like, I was like, girl, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with my brain? Like, I give up. I want a new one. And she she was like, Oh, you know, those are just your trauma llamas. And I was like, My what? She was like, your trauma llamas. So this is kind of how she broke it down to me. She said, imagine a pasture full of llamas. And these are your, your trauma llamas. And over the course of our life, through all the shit that we go through, we sort through our trauma, we let go of old baggage, and we kind of learn how to grow. As we've experienced, we've talked about trauma isn't a linear thing, and we still are triggered and we... Even though sometimes we feel absolutely healed, we learn that it's a, it's a continuous process. Our trauma, these llamas, we've managed to corral them, control them. And that's kind of a, a, a metaphor for how we have our responses controlled. And occasionally when we get triggered, It's like opening the fucking gate and the llamas just run and really fast out of their enclosure. So this is like your trauma response. You've, you've got all of these llamas on the fucking loose and now you've got to get on your fucking horse and you've got to go corral these bitches up and bring these motherfuckers back in. So, (laughs) so, so this is how this goes. So you've, you've (laughs) got these, you've got these llamas and normally they're calm, cool and collected and you get triggered and the motherfuckers break out. We have to use the methods that we learn either through therapy, uh, talking about our feelings, uh, introspection, just giving it time. We learn to control those more. And we have those experiences of escaping llamas less, but it still happens. And one of the ways that I know I respond, we have a metaphor called alpaca feelings. It's It's a flight response. I'll pack up all my feelings, disappear, dissociate. And it, I think a lot of people experience dissociation. They experience that numbness, that, that uncertainty. So I just thought it was a playful way to kind of get into this conversation about mental health, because we all have those llamas as we grow through our trauma and we all have triggers. And But there is there is something important about talking about it, about having community, about getting the help that you need, about breaking this generational hurt and really breaking down these walls of cultural stigma and discrimination, and really raising the awareness on mental health, and really talking about the lack of accessibility for many people. Um, now, what, some of the things that we do know from the National Library of Medicine and American Psychi- Psychiatric Association is that mental health and behavioral disorders among the leading cause of disability in the United States, accounting for, get this, of all years of life lost due to premature death and disability. 13% of all years of life lost. That's, That's That's a lot. My experience with my trauma only extends as far as my privilege begins. And what I mean by that is growing up as a gay man in America... I can code switch and walk into a situation and not be judged by my outward appearance. But I don't know what it's like to be at the intersectionality of being a non-white minority in the United States at the intersectionality of everything else that you have going on in your life. And dealing with trauma, the emotional toll of that intersectionality, I don't have that representation. And what I do know is that there is a long train of abuse in this country. The truth is being met with opposition. It's being met with suppression more now than it has. I think we're starting to move backwards as this new agenda politically moves to erase the progress I think that we've tried to make over the years. So I have to stop talking and let you guys have the floor because I know and recognize the privilege that I have just because I'm a white man in America. So, Aaron, I want you to start this conversation, and I want you to tell me your experience coming through the, the justice system. Explain to our listeners the, the mental effects of the shit that you've been through and how you saw it affect those around you.
0: Well, um, coming through the system was, uh, was a unique experience. You know, coming up as a a child, there was there was uh, some childhood trauma with addiction in my family. And after that, you know, other than just general poverty, which everyone was experiencing at the same time. So it wasn't a unique form of trauma because everyone was that around me. So we were all poor. So it was just the thing to be. We were just poor. So it wasn't traumatizing in, in that respect. I started hustling, getting money in my 20s, selling drugs, doing things like that. But when I got federally indicted and. The writing was on the wall. And I received that indictment that said the United States of America versus me. And I saw and I read the statute, the United States Code, uh 18 USC um or, or, or 21 USC 841B1B, which was the US Code for Trafficking, and it carried as a mandatory sentence of sentence of 10 years, maximum life. That does something to a person. It did something to me. You know what I mean? It it, it really touch something off of me that never was touched off before. Cause I really realized that, you know, like no matter what's going on, I'm, I have to do 10 years, at least 10, you know, and you try to wrap your mind around that and um, continue to wake up and go about your daily business, but it, it has an effect on you. And sometimes you don't know it has an effect on you. And then there's something that happens and it brings it out. So there were situations where I'd be watching television and good, great story, real quick. I was wa- I was watching the Jackson Five story, right? And I'm watching Joe Jackson play with his kids, Michael Jackson and and uh, Tito, and all the boys in, in in the yard. And I'm seeing him play pass football with his children, with his boys. At the time, I got a son. At this at this moment, this is 2010. I'm still in the, I'm still in the city jail. I I got a son, and he's he's one years one years old. And I'm thinking, like, yo, I'm not going to get to do this, you know. And it brought me to tears, sitting there watching the TV. I teared up, and tears flowed down my uh, my cheeks. And I, I I kept facing the TV. I didn't turn around and share it with anybody. But I felt that, and you know, that was a traumatizing experience to realize that I have a son that I'm not going to get to play pass football with, or touch football, or you know, those things. And 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 the, and that was all at the hands of the justice system. True, indeed. This was a self-inflicted situation, but it was still traumatizing. It did something to me that I never, never imagined. You know, So now I look at the broader picture and know that thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of men and women are going through, and children are, are, are going through this. You know, And I also had situations on the inside where we had um, mental health groups and different programs where uh, roundtables were encouraged and people were encouraged to be transparent. It's so profound. Because men are so machos, so to speak, this this machismo culture, to hear grown men talk about their fathers being alcoholics and having them pinned up in the house with hammers and and beating their mothers in front of them or pimping their mothers out. And these is the things and the sights that these men have saw and it's traumatized them, you know, and, and I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the helplessness and I felt it. I don't know how I was able to get through that, but I had to confront it day for day and just... Um, put it in my bag and just carry it around with me every day. And and it was hurtful and it was hard to do. It's so amazing that so many people go through this and it's unknown. They don't know that they're traumatized. I didn't know that I was being traumatized by the system as I was in the system. It's hard to unpack and step out of it and look back at yourself and see yourself on like a game board, you know, and going through these things and these things, these bombs coming at you and this happening, this happening. And what's happening to your character in the game? And and you see it just slowly, slowly deteriorating. And where's the point where you can uh, boost back up your energy and boost back up your your pride? And uh, to face the, the weight of that, the United States of America versus you. You know, you feel so singled out. And when you walk in this grand courtroom and it's empty and it's just big and plush and dark oak wood and the judge up there in the front, and you standing there in shackles. And when I received my sentence, he asked me if I had something to say, and I stood up to plead my case, my last case of why you should not give me 21 years. You know, and I was shaking, my legs were shaking, and my voice was trembling, and I've never in my life felt that before. Never, you know what I mean? I, I felt so helpless standing there, trying to convince the judge as to why you shouldn't give me 21 to 27 years in federal prison. To make that case to another human being with that kind of power was a traumatizing thing for me because it just wiped away all, all the pride that you have in yourself. You just out on the line, basically saying, please, please, please have mercy on me to a person and to a system that you know statistically, historically, and factually has not had mercy on you and those like you. That's at the beginning, not to mention what was going on or what would happen over the next Decade of my life, walking through the corridors of, of different prisons and seeing people have different episodes and 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 break down. And guys, you know, trauma comes out in different ways. You know, and guys will just pull up to you and just spill their guts on you, and and they almost trap you off. You know what I mean? And, and in order to cope with my trauma and, and and what I was dealing with, I tried to avoid those type of situations. You know, you can you can see when the conversation is going there. You know what I mean? And you be like, hey man, hey, I'm, hey man, I'm I gotta go to the rec yard or I gotta go somewhere because I don't want any more weight on my shoulder because I got enough. You know, you want to help people and be there, but it becomes so, so, so burdensome and heavy to hold their trauma Mm -hmm. with my trauma. You know what I mean? And you try to avoid that, but you know, the system, the American justice system is doing a real disservice to the to its to its public. And people are really experiencing a lot of hardship at the hands of justice and and what the what the prosecutors are saying they're doing to, to benefit the community is just displacing harm in another form somewhere else. Man, just say it. Just be truthful. And we can't really
2: expand upon it because this episode is not for that. But we know that the justice system is a, it's a profit. It's a for profit. That's what it is. Most they right. are It's a for profit, privatized system yes. that is arresting mostly and convicting mostly minority people. Remember Orange is the New Black? Yeah. You remember yeah. that show? There was a scene in there that was about um how they do uh people that are in ICE, ICE. I can't remember what ICE stands for. And th- the people of this program said they actually went to a real ICE unit so that they can uh, be authentic in how they deliver this content to the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay? One of the things that caught my attention, I was like, damn, they do this? There was a Hispanic lady that was able to use these computers, but she didn't know how to use them. And the system was like, well, we provide these computers. They're for you. But they knew that they, had, they didn't know how to use them. They'll tell the public, hey, we provide them with the ability to use this thing. But mm-hmm. then behind the scenes, they're like, well, we know they can't use it. So, yeah, we're just going to tell the public that we give them the access to that to make them think that they have the ability to do all these things. And it was like she could; she had to find ways to use the computer. Then she had to find ways to access how to get information.
0: It was like everything was a roadblock purposely put there. Yeah, you- it's <laughs> it, it, it definitely a dark and mysterious world. You know, and then as as far as mental health goes, a situation like that can be traumatizing for a person to be so helpless and to sit there and to look at your portal to your access and your access to help and assistance. And no one cares if you can use it or not. They, they don't even want to give it to you, but they do it just so they can avoid the, the social backlash from the public. You Bro, know, that's that be, exactly uh, the, uh, the way it was played up. And I remember yeah. looking at this feeling bad for her. Forget the crime.
2: She did the crime. She's doing her time. But I'm like, damn! Do y'all have to pile on? Like, do yeah. you, it's almost like dangling, uh, you know, food in front of a homeless man. You know he's hungry. It's like, bro, are we really gonna do that? But they're not gonna tell yeah. you that, right? They're gonna say we provided food for the homeless man and he rejected it. Maybe he was too weak, and maybe you did him bogus.
0: They'll never tell you that. It can definitely hey. be traumatizing, you know, and and, all, and also, you know, like the access to to, to mental health assistance on the inside. Is, is limited. You know, you got 1,000, you got 1,200, 1,300, 40 people, sometimes 2,000 people on one complex and two psychologists, oh. untrained, and, and an intern. You know what I mean? And, and and then no matter what happens, the inmate is looked at through the lens of an inmate first.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And not a there person no, first.
0: They're, they're not a person first. There is no sympathy first. So even if you go see the psychologist. There's a there's a level of distance that she maintains or, or he maintains or they maintain with you because number one you you're an inmate you're bad you're dirty you're filthy you're you're uh or you're stained you're,
1: you're you an know? animal
0: and that's it and that's it like like during COVID there was no access everything was cut down there was no access to psychologists and people I was doing time with guys who were losing grandmothers losing mothers losing losing brothers and sisters to COVID, no access to anybody to talk to, you know, except me or the, or, or, or the guy to live in a cell with. But he's going through trauma as well. So it's like, man, I, like, please, I hear you, bro. Damn, that's messed up. That's, that's terrible. But please stop talking to me about this because, bro, I'm toe up too. I don't even want to go use the phone because I don't know what's going to happen. My mother's in kidney failure. My auntie's in this and my brother's in this and, you know, become so traumatizing. And we also know that over the years, as the prison boom increased during the Clinton uh, era, you know what I mean? The the mental health hospitals in America were closing. So, therefore, what is is now the inmate population in regular prison is actually should be the patient population and mental health institutions. Absolutely. And And they're not receiving the assistance. So now people are in prison acting out and behaving, but they're not acting criminal they are trying they they're just coping with their disease that they don't know they have cuz it's undiagnosed
2: right so doctor? now you have uh and I want to just make this very clear because someone could be listening to this and be like well you did the crime you did wrong you should be arrested and you put in jail you should be happy to get your three square meals but we have to look at this through the lens of okay you did the crime you did your time but you need to be a rehabilitated to be ingratiated back into society we can't treat you like garbage in prison and then expect you to come out and be rehabilitated on your own he needs to do the time you did your time you accepted that but now when it's time for aaron and anybody else that's like him to do his time and be back in the general public We cannot just expect him to jump. If you did 10 years, we can't just expect you to just jump into 2023 from 2012 and be like, yes, he's good. Like, that is not acceptable. And I think, Anki, you had worked with uh, programs that were talking about rehabilitation on the surface, but they didn't really want to rehabilitate. Can you please speak about that?
3: Yeah. On the outside, it was was rehabilitation, but really what it was about was, from, from my perspective, nitpicking small infractions to bullshit policy in order to maintain an inmate population to perpetuate monetary gain Mm
2: -hmm.
3: money um the 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 counselors at the facility that i worked at were not counselors they were case workers there was not any counseling going on zero zero it was it was case management and most of the time, the counselors were overridden by the director anyway. So it was really inefficient. And it was basically, I felt like the goal was, I'll give you an example. I got an award for going above and beyond because I found contraband and wrote up an inmate who got sent back to prison.
1: And you
0: were praised for that.
1: That recidivism rate. You know what I mean? That that kind of, okay. I can send this person back to jail. Therefore, So, here, I get so my, here's
3: your lapel pin. Exactly.
1: I get my little livestock back in jail, basically. Right.
2: Money is the answer to all your questions. The only reason why they gave you the lapel pin, the only reason why they kept Aaron out is money. They know they're going to get paid for the inmates. So let's create this program and give the illusion that we're really giving help. But we're not really giving help. We're doing checks and balances to make sure our numbers, money. Because you're getting paid per inmate, is gonna be on the balance sheet, right? So, Javon, I get what you're saying. I just wanted to give a flip side to that. But yeah. at the end of the day, I think let's just uh bring it back. Mental disorders are among the top most costly health conditions from adult 18 to 64. Listen, average lifespan is 75. So that means by the time you turn a an adult, you you exit out of high school at 18, you are guaranteed to have some form of mental disorder. Now, if you remember when we all three talked, I remember auntie, you talked about it with your, uh, uh, when you were young and finding yourself, Aaron, you talked about it when you were in the church and you were young and they was giving you hard times with the girls and just being hormonal. Uh, Javon, you talked about it when you were in high school, right? I told you my problems when my, you know, back when my dad divorced, my, my mom divorced when I was in high school. Don't those all line up to all of us being in high school? Right. Like, yeah. That right there, so when it says 18 to 64, that to me, speaks to, you start out with mental disorders and like you said, Aaron, you try to figure out how to cope with them and how do most people cope? Alcohol, drugs, some form of abuse, because it just numbs them from their situation. Auntie, I remember you telling me about your family and the abuse with alcohol and such. I told you about my family and the abuse of alcohol. So I think what ends up happening is we end up with these mental disorders. We try to figure them out with an adult. The adult kind of shits on us. And then they usually have a some form of alcoholic or some form of drug abuse. And then we get the brunt end of that, which is the trauma. And then between that, we got to figure out who we are. There's another one on here that says, and I, this this one hits me. People who identify as two or more races. I have kids that are biracial. My wife is white. She's Caucasian. I'm African-American. They oftentimes tell me right here, people who identify as being two or more races, 24.9% are most likely to report in mental illness in the past year, more than any other race or group. My son has specifically came home and told me, man, dad, some of the kids, they call me nigga some of the kids don't think I'm black enough. Like, bro, like at least me being black, I got to just deal with black people. Like multiracial kids, it's almost like they don't even fit in a category. They not cool enough to be black and they not cool enough to be white. It's like, they just here. <laughs> and that automatically is going to cause an issue. Where do I fit? How do I fit in? How can I be myself? Like if, if he didn't have me to be like a, hey, yo, just be you. Be confident. Double down on that. It's all right. If you don't have that right person that's there for you, like my uncle was for me, unto your grandfather, Javon, you, has, you lost, man. Right. As a teenager, you lost. You lost. I'll give you one last one. African-Americans are more likely than whites to terminate treatment prematurely. I can tell you from a brother, and maybe y'all can also, we have this stigma in our culture that is like, nah, you good. Something wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Shake it off, bro. You are, right. And it's like our community of people will look at it as like, bro, you weak? You need somebody? You don't need nobody, dog. Is something wrong with you? And it's almost like you can't admit it's something wrong with you because you got to appear to be okay or strong. Because your own people will either make fun of you or talk about you. So It's almost like you got to do this in private.
1: Let me just go off on that for a second mm-hmm. because I feel like especially in the Black community, we have difficulty talking about mental health because we all know what we say when we see somebody who is dealing with some type of mental health. You know, they're they, they a little slow. You know, mm. they, they just, they're a little slow. They're a little special, yada, yada, yada. That's what we, that's what we end up saying. And instead of addressing the problem, you down at the church house trying to pray it away that don't that that doesn't help it doesn't it no. doesn't help at all talking about them behind their back doesn't help at all it doesn't help you know that kid or whoever to get that that help that they need and a lot of times especially when when we grow up and we become you know high school students where identity becomes a real issue and then we have to figure it out on our own a lot of what people have said to us, oh, again, you you're a little slow, you're a little special, you know. He, too, he's a quick, little this, though. you know.
2: What? Why? Why do black folk? Why do we do that to each other? Like, like, like. All right, I'm I'm opposed to y'all too, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Why Why do we do that to each other? Why we do that? You know how because, we do. Because we don't, we don't have Because back, right?
1: I think a lot of a lot of people don't know how else to address it. They don't. They don't know how to address it. And a lot of them get to a point where it's like, well, you know, you grow up in in, in the Black community where you just don't, you just ignore it. It's not an issue. It's a, we're going to talk about it to your face behind your back, but we're never going to address the issue. Man, we're never going to really take you to a therapist. Religion has a huge part of it. Mm. Let, me, let me tell you why. I think a lot of people seem to want to pray it away. And although prayer works, you cannot pray away, you know, when somebody is bipolar, when somebody has ADHD, when somebody has ADD, when somebody is, you know, dealing with psychosis. You cannot pray that away.
0: No, you it, can't pray it, it is, away. You,
1: no, you
0: can't pray away
1: a broken leg. No, <laughs> you cannot pray <laughs> it away. I'm so right up there to the front of the church house saying, oh, we need to heal him. Because in reality, what your baby needs is a therapist.
0: Right, without a doubt. I've had this issue multiple times in in discussions with people about, uh, about the church. We've been created with the ability to learn about ourselves. So there's no need to ask for a divine miracle to take place when you've already been given the tools to fix yourself. So why would I pray for... Uh, something that might have to be fixed When I have a rent and a screwdriver in the damn drawer I've already got the tools to fix it So if your child is ill There are people who are skilled and birthed at addressing the illness Well, so wait, well, have- wait, well, wait,
2: wait I do have to say, okay Being a man of faith, right? I believe in the Lord Jesus I don't believe in religion I believe in Jesus If there's, you're saying if there's an ability Let's address the need Let's go fix it Exactly. Let's just stop praying about it. Exactly. We can pray about it all day. But if there's a way to fix it, let's get to that.
1: When we get to a certain point in our adulthood, especially as black individuals, a lot of times, even speaking from my experience, I have parents who were born in the 60s. So, again, it was that era that your emotions, your feelings, your mental health do not matter right now. What matters is that we survive. Okay. So the thought of a therapist for them is like you're just wasting your money. You're wasting your money. But unfortunately a lot of times in the black community we we a lot of them have that same mindset. A lot of the older generation has that mindset. So we don't as you know millennials as people who, you know, grow up from these people and are raised by these people, we don't know to hey, I'm feeling Really, really sad all the time.
3: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I'm not understanding why. I'm just I'm waking up every morning. I'm crying. I'm functional. I can go to work and all this other stuff. But I'm coming back home and I'm 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 alone and I'm sitting with my own thoughts and not being able to actually um, really just comb them out and 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 understand them and like I and it's I'm crying every day. If, if we do go and see a therapist the conversation with especially with our like boomer parents changes in, in my own personal experience when I started going to therapy they were like it's a waste of money
0: it's a waste of money what do you see a, a lot of it is is, is, is economic understanding or, or lack a lack of access right that's one of our issues If access meaning you don't have the money to pay for mental health. So if you come up in a culture where there was no disposable income to address an unseen illness, right? Or misunderstood illness, not it's not even misunderstood, no one knows you have it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the understanding of mental illness is just now coming to light. It is getting a, a, a bright light shined on it. But if you go back 50 years ago, people didn't understand and this is what happened and this is how we combat it. We just don't come into that light, I think, also with mental illness. But a big issue is that it's an unseen and seeing is believing. So if you break your arm, I can see the evidence of a broke arm physically with my eyes. I can see that. But if you have a a depression, you just look sad or you still smiling, you still talking, still going to work. So you must be okay. I can't see your illness. So therefore, I may not believe that it exists.
2: I understand what you're saying, Aaron. There are some fathers that I know. I ain't going to say nobody, right? That they know there's something wrong with their child. They know it. They may not be able to label it, but you can go to Google and say, hey, this child got ABC. (laughs) What does ABC equal? And Google will tell you exactly what ABC equals. Google's not a doctor, but it'll tell you exactly what it equals, right? It'll even tell you to YouTube and those people that do that. And it's like, bro, but you ain't going to least research that? Because I work in the school system, and I'm like, yo, but if you diagnose it and help them early, you got a chance. But if you play this game like you think you know it, you're going to mess them up. They have it, and they refuse to believe it. And part of that could be cultural. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Because there's one that I'm looking at. There's this fact that I'm looking at that I'm like, holy shit, bro. Like This jumps out at me. Can I ask you this real quick? LGBTQ individuals may have less social support than heterosexual individuals, particularly if they live in a region without a large LGBTQ population or if they experience rejection by their family or origin. It continues to say bisexual people may feel particularly isolated, experiencing stigma both in society and at large With in the LGBT community, so bro, that's comp. That's there's a lot there.
3: Let me let me highlight something, and this is a conversation that that needs to be normalized. Uh, the conversation around bisexuality. I cannot represent this, but there's this stigma that bisexuality isn't real, um, or or they get labeled as being greedy or indecisive. I was speaking to a friend of mine prior to recording this about this fact, and she was expressing to me how isolated she does feel because she can't even tell her family because she would be totally isolated from her family had she divulged that information. I'm going to leave that where it's at, but I I do want us to revisit that conversation at some point on this podcast, giving that representation to bisexuality, and we will, but... Absolutely, growing up where I'm from, small ass town, five thousand people. If you were you were gay, you were in the closet, really, and you didn't come out to you left, or you were outed, or sometimes you never did. You grew up, you had a whole family, and everything you did was on the down low. Oh, you ain't speaking but a word. You ain't speaking what? Word. I mean, whole ass families, children, and getting dick every Friday night with your wife at the movies. I don't know. You know what I'm God. saying?
1: Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! So that, that, is, that is a true thing. Chad. Um
3: not having that support is isolating enough being an hour to two hours away from the nearest pride community center from the nearest gay bar or gay club where you could go to a drag show and be accepted not having that community not having that representation having no one to reach out to isolating as fuck not realizing that you're not alone i think that was the hardest thing because i definitely even though like i wasn't ignorant like i knew i wasn't in the struggle alone, but to feel so removed from any sort of access, that, that was absolutely difficult. And I think had I had more access to representation, access to a community, access to support, I might, I mean, I might not have had the suicidal ideation. I might not have had quite the time Finding a way to, to love myself.
1: Try being black and gay.
3: Hey, Uncle. That's good, where the truth Good luck is. with that. <laughs> uh, trust me. Good. And, and I don't. need you to really dive into that because, I'm, like I said earlier, my experience in all of this ends where, where my privilege begins. So please. I'm going to be brief with it because it is the
1: intersectionality of being both black and gay is a bit much. A lot of times, and I, and I've said this before, but a lot of times when people when I step into a room, the first thing people see is that I'm black. That's first. So already there's a guard up. And then the second thing they really notice is that I'm gay as well. So no there goes another the guard. That. So rainbows are flying out of my mouth and unicorns are like coming out of my ass. But it doesn't, you know, it just
3: it goes. <laughs> to- <laughs> Listen, it happens. Okay. Uh, we can't uh, help uh, it. Lucky charm and yeah. the whole nun. <laughs> in terms of
1: like growing up, being both, it kind of It kind of makes it difficult because, on one hand, you got Black people, and I love my people, but Black people can be so homophobic. And we are, and it's because of religious teachings and them not really wanting to understand or wanting to learn and be educated about somebody who is not like them. And on top of that, being gay and a lot of times coming into these spaces where a lot of people do not look like me period a lot of the gay spaces that we have especially in these smaller areas primarily if i go to the augusta like augusta pride or you know anything there's a mixture of people with augusta pride but if i were to go to let's say like edge or somewhere all these little small town clubs i'm only going to see
3: white yep gay men yep that's it. And, and let me just interject here. And if there is a black man present, it's only because he's being fetishized. I'm just saying that. Period. That's it.
1: Period. That's it. That's it. And and I'm, and I'm going to be honest because there is no, like, especially here in, in the area that we live in, there's no particular black space for gay individuals to go and feel comfortable. So a lot of times I go to these events or I go around And it ain't number white people, white gay people on top of that, getting on the apps, be seeing no blacks. You know what I mean? Like that within itself takes a toll on your mental health because you get to a point where it's like, well, if I'm not accepted here in my own community where I look like these people, I have the same experiences like these people here and I'm I'm not accepted in other communities as well, then how in the world am I supposed to, to think of myself? What am I supposed to think of myself at that moment? You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, I have the nerve to be fat on top of that. Please pick a struggle. And see, and and you can't pick a struggle. That's a whole nother topic. Even in that, that that affects a lot of how you think of yourself when you walk into these spaces. Because the first thing they see, again, you I'm black, then I have the nerve to be gay, and then I'm Mm -hmm. fat. So I can't walk into a space and feel comfortable with myself completely because. There's always gonna be some chitter chatter.
2: Do you ever feel like when people see you, they expect you to be what they think you should be? In other words, I'm I'm just throwing this out there. Okay, go with it. I used to watch this uh, show True Blood. I love True Blood and the dude Ooh, that I played Lafayette True Blood too. Oh, I love Ooh. True Blood. The dude Lafayette that played Lafayette. Character. I love that motherfucker. Lafayette. Do you ever think that okay? Let's say you remember when that show was out that they expect you to be Lafayette? You know what I'm saying? Like they like, oh, you black, you you should be him. Th-
3: that goes
1: that, ever... that that goes with it. That's a that's a whole nother conversation. I am who the fuck I am, regardless of whatever you want me to be. If you want me to be sassy, I can do that for you, love. But that's not that's not who I am. You know what I'm saying? Maybe after about three, four margaritas, maybe that <laughs> that might come out. However, what you're going to get is you're going to get me coming into this, me being myself not me being anybody else. Because in reality, my sexuality doesn't come before me being a black man because that's the first thing you see. However, my sexuality is a part of me. It's a part of who I am. That'll never change. But people have to understand that you, that when someone walks into a room and they are expressing who they are, they are being who they are authentically, and it doesn't affect you. Leave them where they at.
2: Right. I have something that I see here that uh, I'm going to read off of our sheet. Lack of cultural understanding by healthcare providers may contribute to underdiagnosis and or misdiagnosis of mental illness in people from racially, ethnically diverse populations that basically speaks to there is a lack of understanding right and do you think that our health care providers i'm asking you straight up do you think they really care if they're diagnosing you and do they care about really
0: taking care of you
1: no no
0: we see it in policing we see the judicial system we see it in every walk of life and retail you see it. You know what I mean? So people are raised a certain way in in certain areas, certain parts of the country, whatever it is that's put into them and that has formed them and shaped them. They bring that with them into adulthood and into every walk of their life in some form or fashion. And when you confront that, you know, that can be a traumatizing experience. You know, it, it can be very hurtful to come across someone who's willfully ignorant, but the racism or uh, bias this stuff is carried with people into every walk of life, and when they project that, or when you're confronted with their bias or whatever form it may come, it's a traumatizing experience, and it's hard to cope with at times. And it comes out in different ways. And certain things can trigger certain experiences that you have, and it's hard to deal with. And the issue is that we don't have access to the help. We don't have the money to pay for the help. We don't. We don't have the location. We don't know. We don't even know what help looks like when you're receiving it. Sometimes.
3: So to kind of bring all of that together, what we are surmising is that racial, ethnic, gender, and sexual minorities suffer the most from the disparities of mental health due to the accessibility, the cultural stigma, the discrimination, and even the awareness. No matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, you're not alone. And know that if there's no one else around you for you to reach out to that we're here to be that sounding board for you. And even if you don't have access to the proper treatment, to the proper care, know that you have access to four individuals who give a fuck about you. Um, there's there's a lot of representation that needs to be discussed. This discrimination, this, this stigma in healthcare where you don't feel heard, you don't feel seen because of the color of your skin. And that's that really goes to speak to the fact that only one in three African-Americans who need mental health care actually receive it. That's it. Mm-hmm. So we we have to broaden this conversation and just know that you're not struggling alone.
2: Um, Those of you that are listening, uh, like Auntie said, we want you to know that we do recognize you. We do recognize you if you're in the LGBTQIA, if you're a woman, woman of color, if you are non-binary, any other gender, if you are bisexual, if you are asexual. I want you to understand that if you are Latino, Hispanic, if you are Muslim, if you are non-denominational, whatever you claim. That we are here for you and we hear you and we want to do the best that we can to represent you. We want to hear your story. Wherever you find us on any social media platform, we would love for you to DM us. If you feel the need that you are connected to us and you want to talk, we are here for you. But I want you to feel like this is a safe space to not only listen to, wherever you're at on your way to work, working out, or you just listening to us, chilling on a bench somewhere, I want you to know that we care about you and we love you. And if you are feeling as though you are alone, you have four new friends here with you. We are here with you and we love you and you matter. And us four love you. And we will do the best that we can uh, to support you
1: in any way, shape or form. That's all I got. Thank you for opening your space to safe spaces and faces.
2: We hope that you too get involved in the conversation. Remember to like, follow, and
0: share our social media. Tell us your story, share your experience, and together we can make a difference.
3: Until next time, be the change you want to see.